Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, The Smiths, Hatful of Hollow. Micaiah, we have chosen The Smiths, Hatful of Hollow, not The Queen is Dead, not Meet is Murder, not one of their other two compilations, The World Won't Listen or Louder Than Bombs. We have chosen Hatful of Hollow, a unique collection from early in the career of one of the most influential bands of the 1980s. What do we need to know about Hatful of Hollow? Yeah, not much more than that. I mean, it's it's the second release from them. So uh, the debut album comes out in 1984, and Half of Hollow comes out pretty shortly after that. Um, a lot of the songs that are on the debut album also appear on this compilation, um, but the versions are much different because they're they're live versions that were originally done uh, for like the John Peel sessions and things like that. Uh, so they there's kind of like a bootleg kind of quality to them. They're, they're, they're rough around the edges and uh, they're, they're bouncier. They're more exciting. They have more bite to them. Um, they need, they were, you know, used to hearing on like the studio albums from the Smiths. Yeah. It's, it's 16 songs, uh, which is a lot. So like each side is almost like as long as like the first Ramones album or something. I mean, you get a lot of music on one LP and yeah. And I think that that's, you know, in it, one reason, maybe not the best reason, but certainly one reason why I think that kind of deserves to be on our list. I mean, you get a lot of the Smiths here. Like something like Meet Is Murder is nine songs, and their other albums are like ten songs, and here we get sixteen of their best songs. And sixteen tracks is a lot of songs for one LP. Sixteen great songs is almost unheard of, right? That that that, that is a for, for one album, all right, London Collins, 19, and that's a double LP. You know what I mean? So, I mean, this is this is just a impressive, you know, uh, piece of work and an unpopular opinion, but I feel really good about this one. We've had other albums where we walked out kind of thinking like, uh, okay, Computer is our favorite, right? But, but just, you know, Kid A, right? I mean, because that, right? Everyone seems to kind of, have really strong opinions about that. This I'm like, yeah, no, I know you have strong opinions about the Queen is Dead. I know you got strong opinions about Strange Ways. I think this is the one for us. I, I, I'm um, pretty firmly planted in the ground on this one. Uh, we 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 are in wholehearted agreement that this is the right choice. But there are going to be listeners who are going to immediately recoil at the fact that we have chosen Hatful of Hollow rather than Queen is Dead. Rather than the album that Enemy says is the number one album of all time, rather than the highest ranking Smiths album on any of the Rolling Stone list, I mean, we are choosing Hatful of Hollow ahead of what many consider to be the Smiths masterpiece. And I am not lacking in confidence in this choice. Yeah. I, I think that we're absolutely right. And in one of in one of the things I think may help to explain it, the Smiths released four studio albums, three compilations, and a live album. But the Smiths also released a huge number of singles 
And what was common during this period of time, at least in England, and during during this period of time and in this scene that they were a part of, it was incredibly common for a band to release a single that would not appear on an album, on a studio album. And in 1983, so February of 84 is when the first Smiths album comes out. Their follow-up, Meat is Murder, does not come out until a year later in late February of 1985. But before their first album comes out, they release two singles, Hand in Glove and This Charming Man, both of which appear on Hatful of Hollow. After their album comes out, after The Smiths comes out, they release Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now, William It Was Really Nothing, How Soon Is Now, and Shakespeare's Sister as singles before Meet as Murder comes out. And they really will only have another run like this where they release a bunch of non-album singles. They won't have a run like this again until the period in 1986 and early 1987 between the release of Queen is Dead and Strange Ways Here We Come, and arguably the four songs they release as non-album singles during that period of time, Panic, Ask, Shoplifters of the World Unite, and Sheila Take a Bow, are as good, if not better, as some of the songs that appear on Queen is Dead and Strange Ways Here We Come. Mm -hmm. So this is a band that releases a lot of singles that are better songs than we get on their albums. And I feel like Hatful of Hollow is the best of both worlds. You get great John Peel versions of songs, great Jensen version, Jensen uh, uh, session versions of songs that will eventually appear on their, their self-titled first release but you also get this collection of incredible singles and the B-sides to those singles. And William, it was really nothing, the opening track of Hatful of Hollow, we don't just get the A-side of that single, we get the two B-sides of that single, How Soon Is Now, and Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want This Time. They release these three songs on a single, and none of those singles will ever appear on a studio album. It's wild, right? It, first of all, the how soon is now, uh, and please, please, please let me get what I want. That they are B sides, right? Uh, which you know is just like another way of saying like an afterthought. Basically, is like it's pretty phenomenal because these are in, in the indie music world mega hits, mega hits. You know, uh, they're still being used in film soundtracks now that are either about, you know, set in the eighties or not, you know what I mean? Like they, they are mega hits and they're still, you know, in, in, in pop culture, uh, just to some extent. So yeah, I, I think we're right to do this and, you know, it's kind of fun because this is one that has never been on the Rolling Stone 500 list, you know, in 2003 and 2012 list, they had, Queen is Dead, Meat is Murder, Louder Than Bombs, The Smiths. And a big reason for that is because Half of Hollow was released in the UK and not in the States on vinyl, right? And then Louder Than Bombs was eventually was, was released in the US in 1987, and I think not the UK. And then I think they were like, hey, this is amazing. We want that too. So it, it was subsequently 
they're pretty quickly released there as well. So, and that's why you see like in the 2003 list, why louder than bombs, right? The people who were putting that list together, that would have been probably their gateway to the band potentially. But in the 2020 list, this is shocking. In the Rolling Stone 2020 list, the the album that is 113 is The Queen is Dead. And that is the only Smiths album on the 2020 version of the Rolling Stone 500. You know, I wonder how much of that has to do with, I'm sure, something we will talk about with our guests today. I wonder how much of that has to do with... The Morrissey fallout. Yeah, the 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 trouble the troubling reality of modern day Morrissey. Yeah. I mean previously the album was at 216 and now it, it is much higher than it has ever been mm-hmm. at 113. So there's that. But the under and, and you know what? Maybe maybe it's just split. You know, maybe maybe the people were putting their, their votes down and there was you know, is it going for strange ways, meet his murder, the Smiths, and maybe it was just divided. Cause people when they fall for Smith, they, they they I think people have like the Smiths album that they are in love with. And they, you know what I mean? And so because there, there is a consensus and there's not. You know, like in, in rock criticism and all these lists you're gonna say the Queen is dead, but when you talk to Smith's fans, it's not that clear cut. Like we're Smith's fans and you and I both say half old hollow. Um, and we'll ask Tyler, you know, eventually, you know, what our guest, uh, what his favorite is. And, you know, so I, I don't know the Smiths fans are represented accurately with these lists, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, yeah. Um, yeah, it, but that's shocking. Now what's not shocking, uh, the NME list in their top 100 among the 500 queen is dead. Number one. Okay, enemy. Uh, you know, uh, strange ways here we come. Forty-seven. That's high. The Smiths' debut album, self-titled, ninety-seven. Hatful of Hollow, one hundred. So in their top one hundred, Queen is dead. Number one, Hatful of Hollow. I mean, they they bookended their top one hundred with the Smiths, and then there are two more. In between there, with Mita's murder at 254. That also feels very on-brand for NME, though. Yeah, and, and you know what? If if we were making a 500 albums list and not limiting ourselves to one per artist, I would say the same thing. Okay, like, I love this band. I love these albums. And I would probably even have a sixth one. I would probably say, let's get Louder Than Bombs in the mix as well. You know, in the top so, 100 or the top 500? Top 500. Yeah. If we, so if we, were, if we were doing 500 and not limiting ourselves to one per artist, I would say, yeah, look, this band deserves five or six albums. The four studio albums and like the two big compilations. That's I would, how I feel about them. Yeah. I, I wouldn't go that far. And, and I definitely wouldn't go so far as four albums in the first hundred. No, that's, that's like, that's, that's Beatles and Dylan territory and, so here's here's the thing that is shocking to me, and this has nothing to do with this week's album, but uh, before we tell you about today's guest, I do want to let you know, by 1987, the Smiths are done. This is a band that essentially lasts about five years, 
records just under 80 songs and this band is done. In the United Kingdom, the Smiths have had seven singles chart since 1992. This charming man peaked at number eight in 1992. How soon is now at 16 in 1992 and there is a light that never goes out was released as a single for the very first time in 1992 and peaked at 25 in 1995. Eight years after the band broke up, Ask was finally released as a single again, and it charted at 62, as did the song they, as the, the song that was finally released for the single soundtrack in 1995, Sweet and Tender Hooligan. In 2017, in 2017, that's 30 years after the breakup of the band, the boy with the thorn in his side and the queen is dead, both charted as singles in the UK. And it's not even like they're being reissued, right? I mean, this is just people love these songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, I, and I'm sorry, I forgot one. In 2011, please, please, please let me get what I want charted. Hmm. Just, just incredible that that for a band that essentially survives five years their influence keeps coming back. Yeah. So, Micaiah, tell us about our guest today. Okay. Our guest today is uh, my longtime friend, Tyler Skurlock. Um, This is somebody who I've played music with uh, quite a bit. Uh, he lives in New Orleans. Uh, he is a part of the band Shark's Teeth. That's a plural possessive. And um, I, I gave him a short list of bands that we're going to talk about this season and I say, Hey, do any of these interest you? And he said, he gave me one response. He was just like the Smiths. And I said, let's do it. So this is what I've been looking forward to for a very long time. Uh, so I, I'm very glad to have uh, my old friend, uh, Tyler Skurlock on the pod. So we're going to take a break. We're going to let you hear from today's independent record store of the week. We are going to be focused on New Orleans, Louisiana's own Sisters in Christ records. So hopefully all of our metal fans who have been listening to the podcast can finally feel seen and heard as we focused on arguably the greatest metal record shop in the United States, Sisters in Christ records in New Orleans, Louisiana. We're going to let you hear from today's sponsor, Anchor, and then we will be back with our guest, Tyler Skurlock. Hey, this is Rob, and I'm so excited to tell you about this week's independent record store of the week. New Orleans, Louisiana's own Sisters in Christ Records. Located at 5206 Magazine Street in New Orleans, they are open noon to six, seven days a week. Now they have every type of genre imaginable, but Sisters in Christ might be the best record store in America for our metalhead friends. An incredible selection of metal and you can find them online at sistersinchrist.space, 
Once again, that is sistersinchrist.space. Go purchase this week's record, The Smith's Hatful of Hollow, at Sisters in Christ today. Yeah, my name is Tyler, and uh, I'm uh, mostly just a big fan of You Forgot One podcast. And uh, it's most of what I do with my time is just uh, <laughs> enjoy that and research that. So it's a really huge honor to be here. Uh, but um, also, when I'm not listening to podcasts, uh, make a lot of music and stuff like that. Uh, the main project that I've been playing with for the last like 10 years is called Shark's Teeth. And uh, I think the last time that we were really uh, we've taken lots of shapes, but the last time that we really set on what we were, we started calling ourselves experimental soft rock. Uh, <laughs> so whatever that uh, brings to your mind, uh, we just go with that. Okay, experimental soft rock. And it's a plural possessive. So if anyone's searching, it's sharks, Yes. plural, plus the possessive like, apostrophe after the so, S. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. It's all of it's. It's all of the shark's teeth, not just an individual shark. <laughs> shark's teeth, not shark's teeth. Shark's teeth. Gotcha. Right. Shark's Perfect. teeth. Exactly. It's named after a, it's taken from a poem that actually um, was titled that way. It was not me trying to be difficult, but I, <laughs> I will be difficult for the rest of my life. What was your introduction to the Smiths? How did you hear of them? When did you start getting into them as a band? Well, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade, um, which probably put me at like 12 or 13. And that was way before, uh, to put into perspective for your listeners, that puts me, I don't know, 2002, probably. I think that's right on Makai and I's timeline. We were around the same age and uh, we were around here together around that time going to be influenced by a lot of the same things but it was before like you had the social media of bands so if you were checking out the bands you like you would just go to their like website which essentially was like a blog and on saves the day's website at the time they had like what are you listening to on your ipod and uh also to date it, it was on your ipod and uh the the uh, guitar player david soloway of saves the day uh he listed william it was really nothing by the Smiths on his what's on your iPod list. And me as like a 12 or 13 year old, I listened to that song and I was already starting to hear like, you know, I was listening to things like Saves the Day and Weezer and like you're pretty mainstream, like what's becoming indie rock and emo. But I had never heard anything like William. It was really nothing. And I definitely still haven't. And that's still one of my favorite songs of all time. And I know we're going to talk about that song more tonight being track one. And so I heard that there for the first time and it caught my attention as being, you know, totally unique from everything else that was on that list or anything I've been listening to as a 12 year old. Uh, and it's, it honestly still does. So I had a very different first exposure to the Smiths in the movie Ferris Bueller's day off. <laughs> awesome. The scene where they go to the art Institute in Chicago and, and especially the, the moment where Cameron is kind of staring at one of my all time favorite paintings that's in Art Institute in Chicago, which is Surratt's um, Sunday afternoon at Le Grand Jet. In that scene, when they're in the museum, there is essentially a 
a string quintet version of the song please 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 let me get what i want and as someone who loved that movie and loved that painting i went down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what that piece of music was and then finding out that that was actually a, a string cover of a smith song led me led me ultimately to this band wow that's, that's, yeah, that's, they're, that's every, they're, they're everywhere yeah yeah and rob you saying that reminds me that even though brand new may have been how i like first like heard of the smiths but the first time i i probably heard the smiths was in the movie the wedding singer mm-hmm. because uh how soon is now is is prominently in that oh, soundtrack yeah. and on that cd uh so that's probably the first time i listened but i wasn't like aware of like who like the smiths and like morrissey were until years later yeah well, let's talk about that. And, and Tyler, let's let's extend this question to you first. But I, I think sure. I think we should all we should all weigh in here. We should all have a little we should all have a little skin in the game on this question. Do you find yourself being slightly embarrassed about being a Smiths fan? Um, not at all. I, I don't definitely don't lean towards embarrassment when I have I have feelings about being a Smiths fan, but I don't think I lean towards embarrassment. Um, I think it's more like if I'm going to tell someone, if we're having a conversation and we don't know each other that well, and I mentioned that I like the Beach Boys, it's probably mostly innocuous. Uh, but if I mention that I like the Smiths, I can expect a certain range of reactions. And I'm just, that's, I just go into it ready for that. Not ready to be embarrassed, but ready to be like, you know, aware of being a Smiths fan. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the, that kind of breadth of, of reactions. So when someone finds out you're a Smith fan, what, what are some of the reactions you you've come to expect and how, how do you answer or defend some of those? Honestly, uh, you know, now I think a lot of the reactions that you hear would probably be about Morrissey's uh, arrogant behavior and, you know, which is totally valid. And I had lots of things I disagree with. Absolutely. That he says like, you know, and, and I would, I'd say back to him, you know, your prejudice won't keep you warm tonight, uh, Morrissey. Uh, you know, we're looking in a mirror. Uh, but um, then earlier on, some of those reactions were things like uh, homophobia and stuff like that, which was I've experienced a lot of uh, just by being a Smiths fan and by being, you know, growing up in a place where most people were not listening to the Smiths. And so listening to someone who was like, very flamboyant, saying like the way he did, looked like the way he did, having a picture of him in my bedroom growing up came across strange to like my grandmother. Um, but she she always was very loving and accepting. And I love you, Mama, if you listen to this podcast somehow. Well, Mikhail, what about you? Do you do you find yourself as a Smiths fan being defensive or embarrassed? No, but I also I do fall into that category of someone who is a fan of the Smiths and has been asked numerous times. If, if, if I'm gay. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it's, it is fine. You know, and then they apologize and I tell them that that's, that's just completely unnecessary. It's not an insult for me. I was always kind of hesitant to kind of just be like, Oh yeah, man, I'm a big Smiths fan because big Smiths fans are big Smiths fans. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there, there's like a lot to prove if you're a Smiths fan. You know, and so that that's always been like intimidating 
you know, because other Smith fans be like, well, like, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite lyric? What's your, you know, and, and have like real strong opinions. How many Smith tattoos do you have? Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, <hang up. laughs> exactly. Let's compare. Yeah. The rain falls hard on a humdrum town. This town has dragged you down. The rain falls hard on a humdrum town. This town has dragged you down. sent over some questions and i was looking at this one talking to my wife about it uh while we were making dinner earlier tonight and the first thing that came to my mind was that what's up with morrissey is that he has become even more morrissey over the years he has just gone deeper and deeper into himself Mm -hmm. uh and you know he was always morrissey and always had the predilections you're talking about and and he was always very uh problematic uh, well, maybe just controversial at first, uh, but now he has gone, you know, just deeper and deeper into becoming Morrissey and uh, for better or worse, probably for worse. Um, that is just the character that, yeah, he's continued to develop into. Yeah. It, I mean, it started off kind of cool and kind of punk rock, you know, just being like, hm, not my queen. like you know, I'm not a subject and you're like, hell yeah, man. You know, that, that's easy to kind of get behind. And people often kind of cited the Smiths as like an anti-capitalist kind of band and all. And he had a lot of pretty violent, uh, lyrically things to say about like Margaret Thatcher, like many people in the eighties did Elvis Costello, the clash, you know, and, and it was cool then. But then he starts saying that Chinese people are subhuman because of the way they treat animals. And then it's like, huh, we, we took a big pivot there. And that was like the mid to late 2000s. Like that was not a recent quote like that, you know, and after like mass murders, like mass shootings, saying things like, well, that's nothing compared to what they do at McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Shit every day. It's like, huh, that's another big pivot. You know, it's, and, and, and he's someone who has brought a lot of attention to animal cruelty and probably turned a lot of people on to, to being vegetarian and vegan, uh, which is noble and admirable. And that, that, that's all a good cause to get behind. But he definitely, like, like you said, like really doubled down in a way that went from being like controversial to, just like straight up problematic and as someone who like doesn't live in manchester anymore doesn't live in london anymore has had a lot of things to say about england and british culture disappearing because of immigrants 
And it's one of those things where you can look at it and be like, okay, it's because he misses home. And when he goes home, he sees a place that he doesn't recognize anymore. And you get, okay, you get why someone would be sad about that. But like, you don't, doesn't mean that you have to pin it on an immigration problem. Now record stores in England, like are like refusing to carry his records. His label dropped him, you know? So it's, uh, it's what, what, what was once like contra- like pretty cool and punk rock and then controversial than problematic is now just being like pretty unacceptable. But for me, Rob, when you said like talk about, you know, how do you like reconcile that? And, you know, like looking at all that and being a Smiths fan, how can you have it both ways? For me, Morsi is not the only reason I listen to the Smiths. I, you know, Johnny Marr, is probably the most important person for writing the music that we listen to. While Morrissey has the lyrics, I think, you know, it's similar to uh, Mick Jones and Joe Strummer in that way. But also, other than the, the basis for the attractions, whose name is slipping me right now, uh, Andy Rourke is probably the best rock, indie rock, alt rock bassist of the 80s. I mean, he he's playing bass parts that are as complicated as Johnny Marr's guitar parts. Absolutely. And I I love listening to that, especially on this record. On like the like the live broadcast versions of those songs, like the bass is so punchy and so in your face and so like good. And so yeah, so it's not like just Morrissey, right? That is the like he is not the Smiths, you know. Like the band is fantastic, you know. So that, that's how I've like come to like reconcile it. Every day you must say, so how do I feel about my life? Anything is hard to find when you will not open your eyes. When will you accept yourself? And I am dull and I am plain How dearly I'd love to get carried away Oh, but dreams have an act of just not coming true And time is against me now You know, I want to go ahead and let's let's talk about what makes this band so great. What makes the Smiths so great? And and Makai, I'm so glad that you brought this up. Morrissey is a front man, and Morrissey is a, a unique front man in that he is, um, whether by his own ego or by design or by uh, certainly from Johnny Marr's perspective, what appears to be the inherent introversion and shyness of of his personality Morrissey is is a frontman who takes on a larger than life role in this band and it is easy to forget just how great of a band this is because of that but this is 
one of the great bands of of the 80s and not just of the 80s an incredibly influential band for all the music that followed especially as we think about the alternative rock and uh, indie rock kind of genres and scenes so influential for that and so what is it that makes this band so great what what makes them kind of the the prototypical what we would think of as indie rock band well i think to divert this conversation all the way away from morrissey i'm gonna have to give a ton of that credit most of the credit to johnny marr uh like makai was saying uh it's like he gives most of the credit for the songwriting but i believe that it is he does he's listed as 100 percent songwriting credits even though the royalties have been split up different ways especially with various lawsuits that came about um but he has list, he's been listed as the 100% songwriter for uh, all of their music. I'm sure that you know Andy and uh, and Mike uh, put all of their like flair. I don't want to even that that seems so like talking it down to call it flair on the parts, like because they were doing so many amazing things, like you pointed out. Uh, but Johnny Marr's guitar writing uh, and his song songwriting in general was. In, and still is completely original. He's not using chords and the kind of progressions that you would hear. He's doing these arpeggios that sound like a long, just very beautiful solo that's has these repetitive phrases throughout an entire song. And uh, then, you know, the rest of the band backs him up in also very intricate ways, but he's got this whole beautiful foundation, makes all of these things. And as the, as the songwriting process would go for the Smiths often, Johnny Marr would be making these instrumental demos with the band and then sending them to Morrissey. And so he was just, you know, walking into a very, very, uh, a, a situation that um, he, he wasn't exactly starting from scratch. Uh, and so he was coming in with some of the most like innovative music already just to whine over, which is, I, I often complain. I, I often uh, describe the way that I make music is that I'll, I'll just, I'll just complain over other people's amazing compositions i just have to say yeah johnny marr doing everything that he did songwriting wise i'd say has influenced obviously everyone has our this is not my opinion but it has influenced indie music so many different types of music throughout the years and that also goes uh, that also goes to show is that what he did after this miss he didn't just become more morrissey or more johnny marr he went on to work with the pretenders and modest mouse and the cribs and the talking heads and even like people like Hans zimmer uh, and so he went on, he went on to continue to influence the indie world and grow and be a part of it. And, uh, even as someone who was a founder of it. Hard agree. And I think another thing in terms of like indie rock is that there are a lot of bands in the eighties that, that made that jump from the indie label to the major label, right? The replacements were on twin tone up and, and then let it be. They, after that, they went to, they were signed to Sire, and then from Tim on, right, they, they're on the major label. And R.E.M. has a similar trajectory, um, having gone from IRS, right, until Document, and then with Green going on to Warner Brothers. But the Smiths in the 80s started on Rough Trade, finished on Rough Trade. You know what I mean? They, they, they never, as you, this is one way I want to say, they never, like, sold out to a major label, you know, they always, they always kept it small. I think that, that, that model 
is probably also probably pretty influential that you don't have to like make that major label leap you know that 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 doesn't have to be part of it you know even though they also just had like a a much smaller output another reason why they're probably one of the most influential bands is like who else can you point to who has this much influence and less than 80 songs in their discography i mean tyler and i were talking a little bit earlier like yeah this, this might be the most influential band of all time who has under 80 songs to their name and, and that, that that's inspiring you know that that's something you can aspire to you know it's hard to want to be the beatles but you know if you're in the mid to late 80s and into the 90s you know the smiths that 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 might seem more attainable that, that you might be able to do something like that I was happy in the haze of a drunken hour But heaven knows I'm miserable now I was looking for a job and then I found a job And heaven knows I'm miserable now In my life Why do I give valuable time To people who don't care if I Do you also think the short, the the small output, the fact that this is a band who recorded and released so few songs, do you think that also changes the way or impacts the way that we see them? Are we are we more likely to overly appraise this band because it was such a short window, such a small output, and such a high percentage of that output is so great? Do we do we give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that if they had done 160 songs, that that percentage would remain the same? Or is this just a band that didn't stay together long enough to get to a down period? I don't know. I think you look at the trajectory and they were on an upward one, even if it wasn't emotionally positive. Musically, it was upward. Um, and they were being more creative. Uh, with Strange Ways, Here We Come, their last studio album. But just to say that, you know, they I see it as that they were only making better and better records and hopefully would have gone on to do so. I think, you know, Viva Hate actually does have uh, two songs. I know Bengali and Platforms was being demoed for um, a new Smith song, as a new Smith song, and then was transferred over to a Viva Hate song. And I love that song. So, you know, maybe there would have been even more uh, uh, creative directions to be taken. So... I think if you look at the data, uh, as my like sociology professors would say, uh, the data tells us uh, can be interpreted just to show that they were going to make some more good, uh, some bangers. For this podcast, we have chosen Hatful of Hollow. Both Makai and I have chosen Hatful of Hollow as our representation of this band. Now, Hatful of Hollow is one of three compilations that have been made and released for a band that only had four studio albums. And so if you think about four studio albums and then three compilations, but you also factor in singles they released, B-sides from singles, and arguably some of the best songs that the Smiths ever wrote 
were songs that were never released on any of the four studio albums and were ultimately released as B-sides to singles. So there was a tendency for them either not realizing it in the moment or maybe not realizing it until more people had heard it. But there is a tendency for them to not always put their best songs on their studio albums. And because of that, that ultimately plays into releasing the three compilations. And the three compilations really are uh, The World Won't Listen and Hatful of Hollow, which essentially are essentially released as uh, two different versions of UK compilations and then one released in the United States. And then in 1987, the compilation Louder Than Bombs attempts to be kind of the concluding compilation to try to get all as much stuff together as possible. And so we have chosen not only a compilation for the Smiths, but we've chosen one of the earliest released of these three compilations. And yet, I think as we've gone back and listened to their discography, as we have seen that there are so many Smiths albums, uh, Meat is Murder, The Queen is Dead, there are Smiths albums that are among the highest ranking albums on any of the lists that we've talked about in this podcast. And yet we are pretty confident in our selection for Hatful of Hollow as our choice for Smith's album. So Tyler, as our guest, you know that we've selected this album. What's your take? Have we gotten this right? And if so, why? What's so great about Hatful of Hollow? Yeah, I think that y'all have picked a great one to be the one that y'all, you know, put forth and, and analyze as one of your, your 50 or for your initial, uh, you know, uh, what you're doing with the podcast. Um, and, and what I would say, one, one of the reasons why is because you get so much from Hatful of Hollow that you, you can't get from the other records by themselves. Um, the other records are so great in so many ways by themselves. And also next to the other compilation, Louder Than Bombs, uh, one thing that, I would say stands out about uh, Half Full Apollo over Louder Than Bombs is that live material. Um, many of my favorite songs off Half Full Hollow are the live ones, one of which is are just on Louder Than Bombs anyway. Uh, the night that has opened my eyes. So that's, you can just take that right off. You can just, you know, those cancel each other out. Uh, and then the other, the other live one on Louder Than Bombs is I think Sweet and Tender Hooligan. And that's from the, it's also from the Peel session. So it's just more stuff from the Peel session that's on Half of Apollo, which was just such a great session um, that I think brings that collection to life more than Louder Than Bombs or The World Won't Listen uh, or even the studio albums because the studio albums, I think we'll explain on this more when we maybe talk about those directly with it or compared to it, but can be such cohesive units on their own, like just a wonderful, you know, like one pan dish that's just got every flavor you want blended in there and spread across. And it's all cohesive, all made with like the same ingredients, like the queen is dead, put all these wonderful ingredients to see together. You get a very cohesive uh, product, but with half full of hollow, you get just such a great variety. Um, so much, so many different courses of the Smiths, if I can keep with the culinary metaphor. Um, and uh, I think that is, um, the, that's the ticket. Uh, as uh, our friends, our British friends would probably say. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what's cool about Halfful too. If we're talking about like one of the great like indie rock bands in particular, like 
Yeah, and I, and I, I don't. I wish I knew more about what their intention was with the album because it comes out shortly after, just like months after their debut album, and it has like, well, like five or six songs that are also on that album, but they're um, live versions that were on like the like broadcasted. Previous. And those are early. Those are earlier than the rec- yeah. the live versions on Half Bowl Hollow were recorded before the material for the first album was recorded. Right. So you're it's it's essentially old, uh, older material that was released later, and it's better. In my, in my opinion, yeah. There's there there's, so there's the appeal a, session stuff. There's an energy and an immediacy. You know, there, there's like a look at us, listen to us. You know, kind of quality yeah. to it. It's it's really it's loud. It's it's chaotic. It's um, messy a little bit in a good way. Yeah. 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 Some of it gets real it's messy. Crazy. And yeah, it's just it's just great, especially for someone when uh, people who don't listen to the Smiths, uh, they might they, they might think of the Smiths as kind of like, you know, the way you think of the cure is like, oh, they're like boys don't cry, but it's like a guy like crying in like a music video. And you know, you might they people who aren't Smiths fans might think of them as the band. Like in the one song, she's like, I wear black on the outside because black is how I feel on the inside. You know, it's just like, right. like, right. Uh, you know, that that's where I become oh, like embarrassed to be <laughs> yeah. a Smiths fan. It's like, yeah, I know that's there. Like, whatever. It's a groove. Like, I think the people think of them as like that kind of band, you know, but what's on Hatful is like, it's, it's much more punk rock than that. You know, it's, it's like aggressive. It's, it's, it's pretty angry. Uh, and there's just like an energy there that I don't think that people kind of attach to the Smiths, like, or what, you know, when they, when they think of them, they might think of more of like the, how soon is now, or please, please, please let me go what I want kind of Smiths, but not like the, that like wild, these things take time kind of. Yeah. These things take time is exactly what I was thinking of. That song is out of hand. My eyes have seen the glory of the sacred The drums are like they're basically off. Like the rhythms just get in and out uh, of sync with the rest of the band, but in such a raw, good way that it's just like, oh, you keep going. Um, and I think that was really, you know, I believe that they got the offer for the Peel session after their second show. And wow. so it, yeah, so it was, I mean, that was so early for them, even in just their rehearsing phases. So, uh, you know, they weren't as tight for sure when they went to record it, but they were, they were they were had that energy for the peel session of like you were saying look at me and this you know music i'm really excited about making and it, it definitely shows on those sessions i find myself also thinking the william it was really nothing single might be those three songs might be better than half of their albums and and so i and and i say that recognizing sure. that you get 
William, it was really nothing. So you get one of their greatest songs, if if not the greatest song, but certainly one of their greatest songs as your A side. And your two B sides on that single are How Soon Is Now and Please, Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want. Like, Shut it you, down. Could, you could have just taken that single and, and it's a beautiful picture of of this band. I mean, there's there's all three of the, I mean, essentially the three songs that appear on that single are three of my six favorite songs by this band. Right. And none of them, and nobody was in the room or in the studio during the talking about the first album saying like, Oh, these need to go on the first album. There's there, there are 11 songs on Hatful that aren't on the debut album. that could have just been the second album. They must have known the strength of it to put it as track one on Hatful of Hollow, though, you know, to some degree. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The single must have sold well. It had to have. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to buy one tonight. I think on you know, Discog's profile up. I've got an original UK. Oh, I oh. love it. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the covers kind of dinged up pretty good. So I got it on the cheap and it felt really great because I've got some other ones that were, <laughs> uh, spent an embarrassing amount of money for like, live versions of like stretch out and way as a b-side but but i've got them i also wonder and we didn't talk about this when we talked about what it means to be a smiths fan but one of the things as a vinyl record collector the smiths were in many ways because they have so many different albums and so many different singles and this song appears here or this live version only appears on the b-side of this single and it was only released in japan or only released in the uk like i i feel like this is the band that created an entire generation of obsessive vinyl record collectors. Uh, yeah, I would, I would actually say that I would not always say the Smiths are my favorite band. And I think there was a time in my life where I would say that, but I do, I can say off the top of my head that I, they take up the most real estate on my record shelf. And that's not because of their, um, you know, four studio albums and compilations. It's because of countless bootlegs uh, I don't know if we have any people working for Interpol here. Uh, our, our listeners are going to come and uh, come and take my bootlegs. Uh, but uh, <laughs> there are so many, uh, you know, of just like vinyl versions of their early tapes or of radio shows that they were on and stuff, their live shows that are put on. And as a Smiths fan, for some reason, I've had, I need them. And right. uh, I've just like consumed them all, collected them and cherished them. And I have not done that with my other. Uh, people who I'm, you know, you know, really crazy about. Uh, but maybe that's because there's not a lot of Bjork bootlegs out there. <laughs>
we're all in agreement of this album being being the choice and, and being a good choice for this band. So what are your five favorite songs on Hatful of Hollow? Um, my top favorite song on Hatful of Hollow, first song I ever heard by the Smiths, and uh, the first song on the record is definitely William. Uh, it was really nothing. And uh, yeah, just an amazing song. It hits and you're like, where am I? What is this shimmery uh, guitar part? What is Johnny Marr doing to me right now? Right. Uh, and yeah, and that's that effect has always stayed with me. So that that was my number one right away when when I was making my list. It, I tried to not think too much at all about it and just really went for my uh, you know my first impulses. And the next one was these th- these things take time, which is just a few tracks in. And we mentioned that already about how that track has such a rawness to it that can probably only come from someone's like first six months of playing a song you know when you first write a song with a band that energy of playing it live the first few times definitely wears away after their band for years and they've been touring constantly uh, but we got a really great version on half apollo of that song uh, same thing with this charming man like when i listened to this charming man back to back with the album version which with the studio version which is amazing you just have an energy on the uh the Hatful Apollo version, and you also have a, a sort of different interpretation of the guitar part because Johnny Marr gets to add a lot more studio uh, work, and then you really just get to hear him do a straight linear, like I was saying earlier, just a long solo, just solos for two and a half minutes, and you right. just get to hear him do it live. Uh, it's very impressive, and I don't know, it, it blows me away. Number four, Still Ill. I mean, Still Ill is probably, the, it may be the best song ever written, um, but I'm just, it's just putting it as number four, uh, because that this song just blows me away. And we, we, Makai mentioned earlier that the version on, on Half Full of Hollow is, is just, in our opinion, just superior to the version on, uh, the Smiths or on, well, there's a version on Rank as well. So the official one on, on that, but that, that, the live version on Rank is actually pretty great too. Uh, but this version is amazing. So high quality and also such a great performance. And then I would throw in as my number five. I would throw in Accept Yourself, um, which only shows up on this record. It's a very early one of their songs that they clearly decided whatever their, maybe it was uh, record influence, record label influence, or maybe it was their own decision. Um, but I love that song. And it's got such a different message than so many. The, I mean, they, they, they're always, they, they, they go, they float between being so self-deprecating and so like encouraging uh and you know believe in yourself hate yourself believe in yourself hate yourself right. uh but accept yourself is such a great song and, and i i love the way that yeah more sees you know flipping attitude can be used to convey like a positive message and accept yourself and also very very lovely uh or instrumentation on that song and very enjoyable to listen to so yeah those are my top five just straight from the gut i i also love accept yourself i i was reading Rob Sheffield's list from Rolling Stone of he like ranked all the Smith songs and that was like in like the bottom five. And I was just like, man, you don't get it. McKay, you want to take it? Yeah, I'll go. Um, the, the number five can change, but we'll, we'll, and and these are only just how they appear on the album. This isn't like how I like really rank them, but number one, William, it was really nothing. I mean, it's just, you know, for a compilation, it's still probably the best opening Smiths track. Um, well, I don't know. Russian Push is pretty good, too. Um, yeah, it's undeniable. This Charming Man, like, 
it's 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 as much a classic as like Stairway to Heaven, but again, like we we're talking, never gonna be like on the eighty stations. Just such a great song. Still ill, best version of the song. I think probably the it might be the best Smith song. Like I I, I think that's the one. It, it's just so it really could be. Yeah, and and I was talking to Tyler and I were talking earlier, and I think because to me, I mean, this is like Allen Ginsberg, and with the song like Still Ill, like you can really see how Morrissey is such a great songwriter like in that category of these great poetic minds like Allen Ginsberg who's just riffing on Walt Whitman and William Blake you know so I think Still Ill is like a, a very easy thing to point to and be like oh that's why everyone loves Morrissey so much but in, in the band on the on that half full version is just bonkers good I, you know what I'm revising my list right now and I'm going to say that Hand in Glove is also <laughs> in my top five because it was the, like I'm their honest, first single. It was like their first really big hit, I think. I, yeah. I think that's the one that got them in the door. Right, and it's great. It has a harmonica part, which is weird and, and kind of <laughs> unexpected from them. And but, but it also works both times. Yeah, and hand in glove, the sun shines out of our behinds. What the hell right. kind of lyric is this? Well, the, you know? the, the artwork was the nude uh, male in the front showing his behind right. of that first single. Right. And, and this is, you know, for people who, you know, for someone of his songs about being shy, like not getting a, not wanting to work because he's so shy, you know, but it's also talking about, you know, uh, we can go wherever we please and everything depends upon how near you stand to me. And if the people stare, well, I really don't care. You know what I mean? Like that's, and especially if you're, you know, um, a queer listener, you know, that's, that's really empowering, you know? And I think that I think that's really cool. And in the same way that like, you know, accept yourself is also very cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that'd be my fourth. And then fifth, I'll say, um, heaven knows I'm miserable now, which goes back to jobs and, you know, more, more young, like, please don't make me work. You know, like (laughs) now, you know, now I have a job and now I'm miserable, which of course, yeah, we all, we all feel that. So at the risk of, of three lists that are going to sound too similar, I, I I feel like I'm it's also for a good re- reason. I, I feel like I'm also revising right now for the simple fact that like I, I'm kind of going all right. Well, I don't, I don't want us to have essentially the same five. Um, but William, it was really nothing is undeniable. This charming man. Uh, how soon is now? I like still ill a great deal. I I don't know that I am as in love with this song as you both are. Nonsense. I'm, it's just not going to be. It's not among my five for this album. Uh, Heaven knows I'm miserable now, and please, please, please let me get what I want. The opening and closing tracks of side two will be my four and five from this album. Yeah, I mean those are like five. Just like it's insane that there are so many more songs on the album. Like you look at like just like that five, and you're like, wow, what a great album. What's the other half like? And you're like, half. That's a right. third, man. And, and they're just as good. But that's also, with the exception of this Charming Man, that's that's four out of five songs that never appear in a studio album. Well, this Charming Man only appeared on the U.S. version of The Smiths. It wasn't on the original U.K. Crazy. Crazy you, decisions by all pe- all parties involved.
Should we do top five Smith albums? It's it's really just which which order are you gonna rank them in? I mean, oh no, top five. So that's that's the four studio albums, the three compilations, the live album. So you mm-hmm. have eight. Okay. You have eight to choose from. Sure. I'll go you guys first. and eyes are the same, but are just differently ranked. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tyler, you want to uh, go first? We, we already know this. Yeah, sure. Sure. So um, my top five uh, Smith's records uh, in order are uh, Strange Ways, Here We Come. I think that, like I kind of was saying earlier, they were on an upward trajectory and uh, Morsi and Mar intentionally wanted to get weirder uh, with this record and it shows for sure with the marimba <laughs> it's like right there at the beginning uh so yeah that record to me it just it, it takes everything that was so unique about them and then just amplifies it into such a cool space that they were able to get to uh number two Bimita's murder and i like this one so much because i feel like it has that I don't know, maybe it's something about it's their second studio album. So where they were, you know, they were more established and they were able to go back into it with the confidence to really make their first like cohesive, you know, we're more established and more comfortable on our own skin record. But what they came out with, I think is so cohesive, like, like all the studio albums, but some of the songs on it to me, like, I don't know uh, what she said. And I want the one I can't have things like that. Like, I mean, as like desperate of songs as they are, uh, just completely blow me away. And and also all the, like the barbarianism starts at home, the headmaster ritual, all that stuff. I just can't, I can't, I'm, I'm going to go on too much about that record. Uh, three would be half full of hollow, um, which as we've discussed today is an undeniable Smith record. Uh, definitely one that as you know, y'all's podcast aims to do is the, the one that I think highlights when you go, when you go up against like your best versus your favorite, uh, it may, in fact, be the best one, uh, but I would say Strange Ways is my favorite one. Uh, then number four would be The Queen is Dead. Uh, obviously, it's been lauded as a classic for years. I don't really have to say much else about that. And then five, I think Louder Than Bombs would be mine. Uh, beating out the rest of them because Louder Than Bombs has, yeah, so many songs that were singles that never got released that then get put onto it and they say, we're not going to let these uh, fall by the wayside and they give us it without in the bombs. And uh, so that's my number five. My number five, I'm going to do five to one, right? Uh, Meet is murder. And for all the reasons Tyler said, they, they get really studio savvy here. And yeah. it, like all the, the crack on the head stuff on barbarism. And they bring in keyboards. Their first album, they're like, oh, we're, we're a rejection of that. Right. Second album, keyboards. Yeah. They, yeah, they slid right into it pretty easily. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, and it's nice to have like a nine track concise kind of album uh, that you get out of that one. So yeah, that, that, that's a great one. And I, I did a little switcheroo, Tyler. So you're going to notice that I, because I sent you a list earlier, but I've done a little switch because you've, you've emboldened me. So number four is The Queen is Dead. And so number three, I'm now prepared to say Strange Ways, Here We Come, is my favorite Smith studio album. Because Very cool. Rob, you kind of entertained the idea of doing top five Smith songs. And I was like, I don't, need, I don't know if I can do that without half of them being from Strange Ways. Because I love these songs so much. So I was like, well, if I love it so much, why am I 
putting Queen is Dead ahead of it? Is it just because of all the lists? So I was like, yeah, I just gotta gotta be real with myself. Strange ways, you're going up. And two and one, I I, I can't really separate them, right? Two, I have louder than bombs, and number two, I love Panic, you guys. I'm only a man, all right. I love Ask, all right. I love <laughs> Sheila Take a Bow, and then number one, Half Full of Hollow. I mean, but again, like these the, those two compilations are are so interconnected to me, but. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, that, that's just the, and also because the most I listen to the Smiths is in the car, you know, so, and if I'm going to be driving for a long time, I'm going to grab those two compilations because I get a lot of mileage out of them, you know, literally, you know, so, so that I, they're, so they're, yeah, they're the two I spend the most time with, but Strange Ways is the one that I'm becoming like more, that's the one I, I want to grab first. Um, coming off of this week, preparing for, I'm like, yeah, this, this, this is this is climbing that list pretty steadily. Rob, yeah, mine's gonna be very, very different. Cool, uh, that, that's so, exciting because you don't have a lot of other options. So, I'm gonna have two albums on here that neither one of you have mentioned. The world won't listen is gonna be one of them. So, interesting. Um, my five is gonna be meat as murder. My four is rank. Whoa, cool! Yeah, I did. I I love them as a live band. Yeah, rank rank is is amazing. That's why I love all the bootlegs so much. Um, number three, you know what? Oh, I'm gonna do it. Number three, I'm gonna do Strange Ways. Here we come. Cool. Because number two, world won't listen. Number one, hat full of hollow. And the reason that I'm doing World Won't Listen as number two mm-hmm. is World Won't Listen gives us all of the things that Louder Than Bombs gives us that's not on Hatful of Hollow. So true. the only things that I would want on Louder Than Bombs are on World Won't Listen in a single LP as opposed to the two LPs of Louder Than Bombs. So it, the world won't listen. I get, I get panic. I get ask. Big mouth I got strikes the gate again. Too. Yeah, I, big mouth strikes again. Shoplifters of the world. There's a light that never goes out, which is why I'm okay leaving a queen is dead off my list. Um, boy with a thorn in his side. And See, so that's yeah. the kind of the weird thing about the world won't listen. Also, is that like it has album tracks on it. Yeah, that's what kind of steps like separates it because like by the time i like make like rank my top eight like mm-hmm. i have i have world won't listen at eight because it's like i have this represented yeah. elsewhere but right. I, I i get that it's like you get the best of the queen is dead like mm-hmm. you get you get pretty much all of side two of queen is dead and the best of lighter than bombs so i i get i get why you have it there i, I dig it man i did think we talk about uh, I was going to say, did we talk about, I think I'm just realizing, are any tracks from Strange Ways Here We Come on any of the compilations? No. No. None. Because it, it comes out after a lot of them bombs and robots. But I mean, that just once again makes uh, Strange Ways that much more special. I'm the sun and the air. I'm the shine. 
Well, well Tyler, we can't thank you enough for being with us um, as we as we like to every week, as yeah, you know, you. As, as, as a listener. This is your opportunity. Give us the five albums that we have forgotten. Give us the five albums that we need to be thinking about as we talk about the greatest albums of all time. What are five of your favorite albums of all time? I haven't, I've made a list of five uh, albums that are not on your list, so we won't have any crossover. Uh, so my first one is uh, Vespertine by Bjork. Yeah. Uh, so that album is really special just for, I mean, a lot of Bjork albums are great, but for that one is where she actually, I think she, it's funny enough, she rented a harp. Like, I'm sure she could have bought one, but she's frugal. Uh, you know, it was Icelandic. Yeah, she's... Uh, Icelandic, uh, Icelanders. She is Scandinavian. Uh, yeah, they, they uh, you know, they they really, they know how to manage their finances. Uh, so she rented a harp and she, uh, you know, experimented with that for the album. And then there's also a lot of, like, great electronic textures that make it into one of those, like, I know y'all focus on so much. And what I tried to make in my list are albums that are just start to finish cohesive uh collections of work that um in in, in these cases were recorded at at the same time and Mm -hmm. with the same people and it just kind of comes together as this thing that when you hear it it's all there it's very much put together and so yeah that album it just always my life has been very important and it is one of those albums that start to finish doesn't stop giving Mm -hmm. um number two same kind of and these aren't in order but same kind of thing uh it's an album that is just nonstop content and great hits is josephine by magnolia electric company um their last album uh i don't know if if y'all listen to them very much or are too familiar with them but that's tony molina or sorry tony molina is a, a pop artist who's now doing stuff jason molina is the uh, uh songwriter behind magnolia electric company Third on mine would be uh, Hackula by Bruce Hack. Uh, Bruce Hack was an experimental musician from the 1670s and 80s. Uh, he was really good friends with Raymond Scott, who wrote the uh, Roadrunner theme song, but then he went on to make a lot of electronic music, and they were like good friends. They would make each other instruments and do all kinds of weird stuff together. And Bruce Hack is one of my main like influences in life, as far as like my own like tinkering goes and my own weirdness goes. Uh, so Hakula is an album that was, it was his last album uh, before he passed away. It was rejected by the record label. They wouldn't put it out. And then it was released very recently on vinyl by like a Canadian label. Uh, four would be Jazz Busters by Conan Moccasin. That came out only a few years ago. Uh, but that's one of those that like every time I have company or anytime I'm, I don't know, want to put on something, just like throw on a record. I'll put that on and I'm very happy with every single song just smooth jams i mean it's a very smooth record the whole time and uh, it's one of those that you know i heard it only a few years ago and was like this is immediately in my top of all time and finally an undeniable record from start to finish diamond life by sade uh i mean smooth operator track one to like you know frankie's first affair i think track four and then just every other track on there is unbelievable uh, I, I picked up that record based on liking Sade from um, Stronger Than Pride, I think her third record. And then I saw it at a store here in New Orleans, throw it on, and it ended up being one of our favorite records of all time. And we've listened to it dozens of times since then. So, uh, so yeah, that's my top five. It does feel like, so two thoughts there. So it does feel like 
Sade is getting some much overdue love mm-hmm. in in the last five to ten years, which I'm I'm really grateful to see. Um, and so love love hearing you, uh, just just again bring that album in in front of our listeners' ears. Uh, I will tell you, we have as we have looked into our, our next season. Um, I have really gone back and forth with Bjork. I am a huge fan of Post. Cool. Um, yeah. But, but but I'm very I'm, different. Very different. Very different. But I'm I'm with you. I I think that the I think the pop sensibility. I think the you know like the the hit writing um, on Post you know makes it understandable that it's it's the you know kind of the the more popular album. Um, sure. But but I will tell you, I I totally agree with you that that Vespertine is the most complete of her albums. That that start to finish, it is a cohesive oh. thought. In in yeah, that's in, the one that sticks with me. Yeah, and I listen to so many of her records that I love and adore. But that's the one that I can't get it off of. I have it on vinyl. And it's one of those ones that like yeah, I keep at the very top of my shelf, outside of the alphabetical section. There's a top shelf uh, where Vespertine stays. Cause easy you know access. It, yeah, because you know it's going to be going on the the turntable a whole lot. Yeah, if I, I don't need to be looking through records and thinking when I need to find Vespertine, I just need that to be easily uh, accessible. Tyler, for our listeners, how can they stay connected with you, and uh, how can they hear some of your music and and uh, support your band? Um, well, you can't stay connected with me in really any way. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't have any social media, um, but I do have. Um, a Bandcamp page for the. I mean, we have, we're on Spotify. I mean, my my the main project that I play with, Shark's Teeth with the apostrophe after the S, uh, the plural possessive. Uh, we're on Spotify, and also we're on Bandcamp and you know Apple Music and things like that. So you can find Shark's Teeth pretty much anywhere on the internet. Excellent. Well, well, Tyler, as we uh, as as we go to our break, we wanna we wanna play uh, some Shark's Teeth. So what oh, is cool. what is what is a song if our listeners are going to hear one song by Shark's Teeth what what song should they hear? Um well we we released a track um just this February called Caramel Valley Lake. Uh it's it's uh, should be like the first thing that comes up on Spotify or Bandcamp or anything and um that's a song that we put together during like pandemic lockdown times but we did it like remotely even though we all live in the same city and so there's a lot of like people sending in stuff and every once in a while i have someone get together and do a track one at a time in our studio uh but a lot of it was just done by sending files back and forth and it took us a while to put this together in that format even because we're used to really just a lot of uh you know session work and being together in a room all the time um so this was the really the 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 biggest like um effort that we were able to all come together and put together uh, after after this long time apart. I'm very, very uh, glad to share that with people. Just very glad to finally get that one out. Unhindered defense That you won't always take me Keep me inside 
All right, Rob, we're going to try to do the impossible and just have our top 10 favorite Smith songs. Not best, not the definitive, right? But if we were going to make a Smith's LP, five songs on each side, what would you make? Right? We, 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 we joked, you know, about, well, it wasn't that much of jokes, but I think we're all pretty serious about it. Uh, side one of Strange Ways, side two of Queen is Dead, I think we both agree that'd be pretty perfect. But if we had to take from all of them, what 10 songs would we do? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm ready. In many ways, I just approached this from the standpoint of if I was, if I was there in 1987 and I was going, all right, I want to make a definitive kind of bookend to this band's career what would the 10 songs be? And and so I've thought a lot about this and not only do I have the 10, but I know exactly how I would sequence this album. And for our listeners, both Micaiah and I will have uh, a link on the website where you can go check out our Spotify uh, playlists of our 10. But here would be mine for Rob's kind of single LP version. So number one, William, It Was Really Nothing, followed by Shoplifters of the World Unite, How Soon Is Now, Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now, and Panic. So flip it over. Side two It's going to start off with This Charming Man, Girlfriend in a Coma, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, There Is a Light That Never Goes Out, Please, please, please let me get what I want. Seven out of ten of my all-time favorite Smiths album, all-time favorite Smith songs, never appear on one of their studio albums. And that, for me, is, I think, another reason why I believe we got this right. And Hatful of Hollow not only should be our choice for the best Smiths album, but it gives us an opportunity again, at least from where I'm standing, to say to Rolling Stone, hey, you forgot one. You got this wrong. Yeah, so my approach, I have not been thinking about this list for very long. And I just kind of want to do like gut reaction thing. Like don't try to think about it. Don't try to think about the essentials. Don't think about the ones that should be in there, need to be in there. Just looking at, the, going through the discography pretty quickly and just kind of pulling like, okay, what? What are the ones like I wouldn't want to live without? And this is what I came up with. This is not like, uh, unlike Rob's, this is not in a, in a sequence, right? This is just chronological the way they've been released. Okay, so this is what I have. So number one, William is really nothing. And then it goes into this charming man, had full of hollow version, followed by the still ill, had full of hollow version. Followed by the please, 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 let me get what I want. So that's four that are on the album that we've been discussing this whole time. And maybe that's just because we've been discussing it this whole time. If we were discussing another one, maybe those would look different. I don't know. But the song that would end that side of this fake LP uh, would be I Want the One I Can't Have for Mita's Murder. All right, so then my side two, again, not not really how I sequence it, but this is just as I was going through and picking them. 
boy with a thorn in his side. Man, that song just makes me feel good. It just makes me feel good. And, and there is a light that never goes out. How can you not? Right? Just like, please, please, please. And uh, two just big, fun songs, Panic and Ask. They come from Louder Than Bombs. Um, love them. And then uh, my my 10th song is Death of a Disco Dancer from Strange Ways. Um, I think that is a one of the all-time great Smith songs and, and certainly one of my all-time favorites. It was hard not putting more Strange Ways uh, songs on here. I, I, I certainly wanted to. So that was that was the most challenging part was figuring out you know, how, how to cut those songs out of this list. So uh, anytime I go to make this list, it's going to look different. You know what we didn't talk about was the Simpsons Quillaby episode. Oh, my goodness. Did you see it? Yeah. It's so funny. In fact, that might be a good way for us to end. So, uh, Micaiah, this is a given for us. Hatful of Hollow is going on our list. Uh, we just have so much confidence in this. We're willing to say that we got this right. And that, that other places maybe have gotten this wrong to not to not have Hatful of Hollow on the list or not have it higher on the list. Um, listener, we want to hear what you think, especially if you're a Smiths fan, because one thing we know for certain, if you're a Smiths fan, there's going to be plenty that we said today that you're going to disagree with. And so we want to hear about it. And for the things that you agreed with, let us know as well. Uh, we want to thank our guest today, Tyler Skurlock, for being with us to talk about one of his favorite bands and we're so excited uh, for you to hear this episode and for you to be with us next week. But we leave you now with The Simpsons and an animated version of what Morrissey might sound like in Springfield. Every day I try to smile but can't help but frown Every day I draw my bath and pray I will I step out my door and I take a deep breath Turn back inside and pray for my death Cause everyone is horrid except me and possibly you Let me tell you a tale to answer your query In Manchester the people were loyal and kind And I hated them So which was a sedated them? They lacked subtlety and nuance I definitely knew once I was five There was no point to their lives Cause everyone is horrid except me And possibly you Cause everyone is horrid except me and Paul